Welcome to the Coach and Doc Podcast. In this episode, we're going to look back at a conversation about building better cultures, originally recorded in 2021, featuring my father, football coach David Cutcliffe, and Scott Drew, the head basketball coach at Baylor University. We hope you enjoy. We're joined tonight by two guests who really need absolutely no introduction. They are two of the most successful and most respected men in their respective, respective fields. Coach Scott Drew of Baylor Men's Basketball and Coach David Cutcliffe of Duke Football. We're really excited to gain wisdom from these coaches tonight. So first of all, thank you guys for being a part of this. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this will be fun, uh, particularly since uh, there's two Cutcliffs on here. We promised <laughs> Coach Drew and, and, and Dr. Taylor we are not going to gang up on anybody tonight, I promise. <laughs> well, well, Chris said the tough questions would be for you, Dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we're going to get into this. Uh, so real quick, we wanted to outline the purpose of the event, though, because this is how our questions are going to flow. Um, the purpose of this event is we want to better understand what culture looks like in each leader and team-specific environments, and so the hope is that after our attendees have watched this event, they clearly know not just some of the methods each coach used, but also the purpose in each given context, okay? And so we're going to start off, Coach Drew, I'm going to hit you with the first question, all right? And here's the first one. If someone asked you to describe the culture of your program right now, what would you tell them? Well, we had, we had a culture of joy this, this past year, and that's a, a Jesus, others, yourself. And it's, it's based on a servant uh, leadership model. I mean, Jesus came to serve, not be served. And uh, no job is uh, uh, too uh, big or small for anyone. And uh, if we're thinking about others and everything we do, I know, uh, Coach, our job's a lot easier because uh, uh, teams that play for one another, teams that are player-led are always the best teams. So, um, Dr. Taylor, people might not realize you helped us establish our culture, so we want to thank you for your service and help uh, with the Baylor men's team. And uh, I know as, as Coach will say and all of us believe it takes a village to raise a man and uh, 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 all the past people that came into our program helped lead to this championship because it wasn't just done uh, by by these guys it was done by the people that came and laid the foundation before coach Cutcliffe, same question yeah um when when we came in to to duke football there was just an absence of uh, of culture you know they had won 10 games in the previous eight seasons. And so, you know, as I, I viewed it, the first thing I, I told our team from a culture standpoint, and I believe this, and it's basically the same thing Coach Drew just said, is that the, the greatest thing anybody can say about an athlete when their career is done is that somebody comes up to you and say, hey, man, you were the best teammate I ever had. That is the greatest compliment in sports. They're not going to remember how many points you scored or how many touchdowns you made. They're going to remember, as we hear people say, how you made them feel. And mm -hmm. so the culture became very much just being a great teammate. I didn't want to complicate. And um, I think it's also important to realize what a culture is. A culture basically is a, lot of, a large group of people or a group of people that have the same basic habits. And so that to start with day one, we, we took two things, two categories, discipline and conditioning. And we were gonna have a common shared habit of great discipline and a great level of conditioning. And so that's kind of how we started it at Duke and what I think our culture still is today. So we tried to think, you know, like what would be the, the next thing a coach might ask? You know, we, we hear where, what your culture is described as today. What would be the next question? And we think a lot of people might ask, how long does it take to get there? You know, and so, Dad, you've been at Duke for 13 years. Coach Drew, you've been at Baylor 18 years. So, Dad, you answer first this time. How long did it take for you to feel like you had that culture in place at Duke? And could you maybe share some of the things that helped confirm that for you? Well, I'm, I'm going to say this because I mean this. First of all, realize that it's never ending. Mm -hmm. Okay, There's no end point to culture. It has to be sustained. We've seen cultures throughout history that disappeared because mm -hmm. the habits changed. 
And I think all of us in coaching, teaching, any organization need to realize that that's a daily commitment um, to those uh, habits. I think from the beginning for us, that we didn't play a game for a long time. I went in in January. Um, we had our first workout, Coach Drew, and it was funny. I told him I stopped the workout. It was an off-season. I said, this is awesome. This is great. And they're looking, hey, the new guy likes us, man. I said, <laughs> I knew we were going to help you. I had no idea we would help you this much. You're the fattest, softest football <laughs> team I've ever seen. So we, uh, when we knew it, is the work that was put in from January to August. When we weighed that team in January, weighed them back in, in August, they had lost a collective 597 pounds. That is a visual and a measurable culture change. That's a, I, I remember that, that story as well. Um, that was, I guess, a year before <laughs> I came and, and got on board at Duke, and but I remember talking to you through that process and hearing all about that. Did so we I, lose, Coach? I think, I think we did. Through. I think he may have some technical difficulties. I'm, I'm pretty sure Kelly's getting ready to help him right now. So he'll well, be I'm going to finish the, the answer to one other comical story. I had just hired this new staff, that guys that I had had before, and uh, I sent a manager over to lock the gates, not because the players were going to leave, I was afraid the coaches were going to run and leave when they saw what we had. <laughs> and that team, the first time they took the field, came out and played really, really well, if I remember right, too. So well, they won 31-7 to and beat uh, James Madison, who the year before had been the national champions in FCS. So it was a great start, and it really did solidify what our guys knew it paid off. They knew they were in better shape. They knew they were more disciplined. Um, they had paid the price. And so that's a big part of it. It's not going to happen because you say so. Um, no way. And I'm extending this talking, you know, obviously waiting on coach to come back. And I will say this, I, you know, y'all heard what he said. Did you not see joy and celebration of, of each other when you watched Baylor basketball? Oh, for sure. <clears throat> And their biggest supporter was their head coach. I got enamored with him throughout that entire tournament, just watching him work. And um, it, it was very obvious the relationship he had with those players was special. I'm going to follow up with this thing because I wanted to ask you about this. I didn't know if we'd have time, but you've been a head coach at two different places and we're in Oxford right now. And, and, uh, kind of the same type deal about how long did you feel like it took when you were at Ole Miss um, on getting that to a point where it was really successful? You know, we were fortunate that we came in in December, Doc. We had um, we had a bowl game to play. The Independence Bowl, right? Yes. And so we had to put tape on everybody's helmet for us to realize or know who their names were. We started practice not long after I took the job and I hired an entirely basically new staff. Mm -hmm. And so that culture was really surrounded that ball game with, with Texas tech and uh, Spike Dykes was the head coach retiring at Texas tech. who was a friend. And it's one of my regrets is almost of a winning a game was, was having Spike not win his last game as a head coach, he was such a fun guy and a good guy. And, um, but we really just went to work. I had one of our coaches, Ron Middleton came over. He was coaching tight end. We had a really an all American tight end. He said, he's not working very good. And I said, well, you know, he said, I don't want to run him off. I said, don't worry, coach him like you know how to coach. And, um, uh, so they bought in and we went out and we played lights out, won the ball game going away. And, um, that really got us started on the right foot. Then, then the first class I signed Eli Manning, that never hurts. Uh, <laughs> to have a, a guy like that, that kind of helps change a culture into a winning mindset. And we won a lot of football games. So we'll turn it over to, to, to coach again. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> so I apologize. I tried to get a better computer for you guys tonight and the battery died. We was charging, it was going. So we'll have to figure that out later. 
but I hope they asked you all the tough questions. In the meantime, I will finish up with, uh, <laughs> excuse me, but uh, uh, in the meantime, I'll finish up with uh, what you said about uh, your culture and, and, and when did we feel like it was established and when did we get there? And uh, let me, let me center this a little bit better. Uh, and what I, what I'll tell you is, is, it is ever going, like you said, and uh, the minute you lapse is the minute you lose it. Uh, at the same time, I thought uh, uh, with us, it, it was really, and, and we, we got this from uh, uh, when the New Orleans Saints, after they had won it all, they're talking to their, their coaching staff, and one of the things they talked about was player-led teams. And I really took that from them. And uh, when you have players that uh, uh, basically coach themselves and take care of all the, all the little things, uh, that's when you, 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 you have a team that, uh, is capable of uh, achieving its fullest. And we've always, uh, emphasized having a, a player led team from that point on. Now, not every class you have that, um, and you don't have the leaders or the chemistry or the, uh, the team buy-in maybe to have that established. But with us, I thought, uh, uh, uh really it took, a uh, every team, uh, competed and uh, played hard for us. But uh, to me, it was really um, when I knew that, you know what, if I stepped out of practice, they would execute and continue everything uh, just as if we weren't there. And to me, uh, the first team, I, I mean, 2008, we made it to the tournament for the first time. Uh, but 2010 was the first time we had players actually call practices themselves. And, and when they thought they needed extra practice or extra workouts. Um, and, and at that point, uh, I knew we had a special team and I knew uh, we had the leadership uh, that, that our program, and that took seven, eight years to get to. Uh, and we lost an elite eight to Duke. Uh, so uh, thanks coach Cutcliffe for that, but uh, uh, they wanted all that year. And uh, uh, I was really proud though, feeling that that team maxed out the best of their ability. And at the end of the day, um, from that point on, uh, we really, in the summer times, had uh, players always come back. We call it vet week. Um, but uh, from the teams that I first coached in 2003, there were always several key leaders that would come back. Um, and it takes time to get a whole team buy-in. And you might have one or two that, that aren't fully engaged, but uh, if you have 95% and, and the players that are the leaders of the team all uh, uh, rowing in the same direction, uh, you're able to achieve a lot more, obviously. And uh, with us, the, the key thing is uh, uh, every summer having those guys come back and pass on traditions, knowledge, wisdom to our guys, because at the end of the day, Coach Cutcliffe and, and myself, we can say what we, we want to the team and it matters, but when a player comes back or a former pro comes back uh, and they start talking, uh, it's a, just a different meaning. And especially 18 to 22 year olds, they care a lot more about what their teammates think of them uh, than coaches a lot of times. And if you have a, a team that's really bought in uh, to what you want in the culture you want um, that those are teams that you don't ever want to play against. And uh, uh, I know uh, each and every year we try to recruit two guys that uh, fit our culture. And uh, at the end of the day, we all have choices and that, that can be, if you're in high school, who you keep and who you uh, cut and in college, who you recruit and who you pass on all the way to the walk-ons you have. And so often we choose to take a little more talent, and a little less character or work ethic or everything else. And before long, we're, we get disappointed that our, our, our teams don't have uh, maybe the character or the work ethic or the culture that uh, we, we truly want. But at the same point, we have to make a conscious effort um, because that's a talent and ability uh, just as much as speed and athleticism and agility are. That's good. How many guys would be in a recruiting class? I hate to ask a question, but that's a great <laughs> statement. So two of four would be absolute needing to be guys that improve the culture. Or... So is that prior to the, the uh, transfer portal? Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because obviously with the transfer portal, I think things are changing for everybody. But uh, uh, normally it was two to four class. And uh, now I think everyone will have a, a more, obviously. But, I mean, that's top to bottom. Like this past year, uh, 
obviously we won it all, but we added a walk on late and uh, Mark Patterson uh, was someone that uh, uh, had been at uh, a division two school and uh, was in grad school. And he had a tremendous impact on our culture and, and, and our team. And uh, I think every person that you add is important. Doesn't matter scholarship, non-scholarship. I think the best thing we can do is when we draw plays, we want and we say precisely where we want everybody um, and what we want them to do and how we want them to execute. And I think just as important as who we have on our team who we have rooming with who, who we have sitting next to each other. I mean, all of that stuff goes into, uh, I mean, you, you get a band, you get a choir. I mean, they, they place people there for a reason. Um, and I think that, that, I mean, uh, Popovich, they always talked about, he always had everybody on, on, on trips assigned to certain seats for a reason. He wanted people to influence other people and leaders to be with people they needed to influence and vice versa. I like that a lot. This next one, Coach, Cuff, Coach Cutcliffe, I'd like you to lead off on. Um, and I want to make sure we ask this right because we were talking about this before. But if we go back to the very beginning at each place, neither of you attended Duke nor Baylor as students, okay? If you're advising a leader who takes over a new program in a context that he or she is not from, how firm does that person need to be with emphasizing, you know, a culture that they're going to bring in at the start or how much does it need to evolve with you learning about what's valued at Duke or what's valued at Baylor? There was a lot to learn for, for me uh, being 25 years in the SEC prior to that. Um, the amount of work, that those guys were doing academically, I, I had to learn. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I wanted to meet people that were involved academically at Duke. And I did a good job um, not only talking to our dean of admissions, but uh, uh, faculty and then some of our seniors just asking them, tell me about your week. So before I decided to put a plan in place, I, I thought it was important to understand the university culture. Uh, small, you know, here you got, you know, big state universities, and now I'm at a, an institution with 6,500 6, undergraduates. Uh, that's different. <laughs> so uh, everything that occurred was really, you know, different than anything I'd ever had to deal with with athletes. But at the same time, one of the things I told them early, I want to give you a few staples that this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to take the first thing that every one of you here, because you haven't won, think is that it's easy to win. Oh, at Alabama, because mm -hmm. it looks easy when you watch it on Saturday. Well, it wasn't easy when I was at Alabama. It wasn't easy at Tennessee. It wasn't easy at Ole Miss. And so if we don't do the little things that it takes to be a winner, you won't win again here. So I'm going to, I'm going to learn. And, um, but from that standpoint, I think the consistency, again, it goes back to those, those habits, you know, just putting a hand behind the line. I don't say line up on the line. Um, I want to make sure they're listening. And so line up and put your hand behind the line in any drill that we're starting in a stance with our hand on the ground. And we're going to run through a line or through a cone, not ever to it. And so that didn't matter how much workload you had academically, you know, I, I, I could care less. You're not going to be a very good student if you can't understand what through the cone means, right? You okay? That's the bottom line. So, but I do think you have to look at the environment and take what's really good there and, and embrace it instead of fight it. And then we tried to embrace Duke for what it is. And it's an institution of excellence. And the only thing there that didn't represent excellence was Duke football. They never, the two never went together. Mm -hmm. People would say Duke basketball very easily. Coach has already mentioned it, you know, Coach K's earned that, but they would say Duke lacrosse or Duke law or Duke anything. You never heard Duke football. So we said Duke football a lot and we had it painted everywhere. And then we started the phrase, we are Duke football. 
that was the culture start. And we defined what that was every day. So that's kind of how we came to embrace Duke. And I loved it then, and I still love it 13 years later. And I know I can say that for Coach Drew. When you're in a place 18 years, you're the mm -hmm. most successful coach around, believe me. But <laughs> you better love that place uh, or you got problems. Yeah. Well, I know, I know one thing, Coach. I think of Duke football now because of you. So you've done an amazing job there. Thank you. Coach Drew, same question. Well, I think uh, uh, first and foremost, when, when, you, when you go to a job, uh, I think it's important to understand the niche. And what I mean by that is every school has a niche. And as coaches, so often we want to do our, our do things our way and bring in our people. And at the same time, schools attract different people for a reason. And I know, for instance, uh, 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 Baylor University, largest Baptist school in the in the nation, um, small family type private uh, um, atmosphere. There's certain families that really want to be a part of that. And there's certain families that don't. And the ones that, that embrace it want to be in that environment. They're probably the ones that are going to thrive there and the ones that are going to do better there. And our administration, our alumni, our fans are going to appreciate us bringing in uh, student athletes that, that represent our school the right way in a way they want to be represented. So I think it's so important before you take a job um, to find the niche of the school. And where are you going to recruit from? Who are you going to recruit? Can they be successful at that school? And, and, if, and if you're not that person for that job, um, don't just take the job because you think you're a great coach and then try to make something work because putting student athletes in a, in a position they're uncomfortable or, or can't thrive in, say, same thing I say in coaching all the time. My coaching technique is different than other coaches and other coaches might be better for you than I am. This is how I coach. And it's my job to identify who I think I can help and who, who our staff can uh, make better based on how we do things and how we run things. Because if we bring in someone that we know we're not going to do the best job for them, we're doing them a disservice. I mean, there's a lot of other coaches that do a much better job with certain uh, coaching different styles and, and, and different kids. But at Baylor, this is kind of uh, who we do well with. And what I mean well with, we know they're going to graduate. We know they're going to appreciate our family atmosphere. We're going to love them. They're going to love us. We're going to it's a happy marriage. And so um, once you understand that, I think the next step then is when you bring in student athletes and, and as, as coaches, as we start to learn and educate our, our student athletes on the great traditions and uh, uh, great things each university brings, you start to appreciate things more. And Coach Cutcliffe's been there 13 years. I'm sure when he wins, he feels better now knowing the fans and it means something to him because he has a relationship with them. He loves to see them happy because he knows who they are versus just some fans. And that's that, like with us winning the championship this year, the best thing for our staff has been seeing how not only our players were happy, but more importantly, our university, all our fans, uh, Waco, uh, the state of Texas is only the second basketball championship in the state's history. The first one, 1966, Texas Western and Glory Road. So uh, again, it's, it's about relationships now and it's about uh, uh, seeing people be excited. And because we understand the traditions and the meaning more, we can express that more and, and sell it more. It's just like anything in life we all sell. And the more you know about the product, the easier it is to sell. And the more you appreciate it, the easier it is to sell. So <clears throat> kind of building on that a little bit, um, you know, thinking of like high school coaching world, what would you say to a leader who takes over a job, but they don't get to bring anybody with them? So mm -hmm. you get hired as a head coach and the staff is in place. And that, you know, is kind of what it is. What would that leader need to be mindful of taking over a program and trying to establish a distinct culture? Coach Drew, you answer this one first. Well, thank goodness I don't have to do that because we get to bring in a staff. But uh, what, what, what I would say is if I was in that position, obviously I would have to spend more time with the staff so that, that we're all saying the same and speaking the same language, doing the same things. Because uh, if the staff has harmony and unity, then the team can. 
But if we're if we're causing chaos ourselves, it's hard for them to have harmony and understand what we're looking for. And then at the same time, as as I would assume that the the staff that that we would have would all be bought in for the same reasons, and that's to help student athletes. So we're leaving our ego and 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 checking that stuff at the door. And it's all right. How can we put these young student athletes in the best experience? possible and successful experience and teaching them for their future. And then probably what I would do from there is after you spend a lot of time with your staff, so you're on the same page, you're probably promoting those that, that you feel are most suited to help establish the culture and uh, the program you want to have. And the ones that aren't, they're going to gravitate off just like uh, everything in life, um, but definitely empower those and give them a bigger voice, the ones that are on the same page as you, because uh, again, you want you want to have a, a, a head coach is only as good as his staff, and a staff's only as good as its team. So you got to you got to get the staff first. Dan, you can follow up with that. Yeah, I um, I'm going to say clear and concise communication. We as a coach know what we want it to look like. There, that's a vision. No one can see what you're seeing in your mind's eye. So clear and concise communication. And I, I think one of my favorite phrases is say what you mean and mean what you say. And if you establish that and you start with people that way, that is really the most consistent way to develop a relationship. It's no different than taking over a brand new team. If you're taking over a staff, if you can't develop as a high school coach, you go in, your positivity, your energy can't be anything but genuine. And, you know, you're not going to fool people. You either care about them or not. I'm not talking about babying the staff. I'm talking about building your relationship, but always reminding them, say what you mean and mean what you say. And then the way to become aligned is I hate to hear a coach correct a player and then not correct a player on the same mistake three or four plays later. Okay. If you tell someone to be low, or if you say here, hustle over here and he walks over there and you don't correct it, that's not saying what you mean and meaning what mm -hmm. you say. Also, if I tell a player, I hate to hear a coach do this. You take over a coach. Don't ever let a coach say, I'm going to play you more this week. And then you don't, mm -hmm. that player's done. Mm -hmm. So again, say what you mean and mean what you say. And that's where I would start is that clear, concise communication can help establish relationships. And it'll also help establish that culture that we were talking about earlier. You've both done these massive rebuilding jobs. Um, you've both been amazing at both of this. Um, and so starting off here, Coach Cutcliffe, I'd like you to answer this first. How did you maintain a positive culture when the on-the-field court results aren't positive? Well, it was hard. And I'm going to tell you a great story. I've got a friend uh, now that was a Duke grad that Steve Jobs was traveling the country putting together a team to start a little company called Apple. <laughs> and he went to Duke, and he, all he did was go by engineering and said, I want to talk to your top your valedictorian who's your top student well it happened to be this young man named eddie q who of cuban descent went to an inner city miami public school got an academic scholarship to duke university okay what a great story steve jobs hires him and he's there day one so we go three and nine and three and nine in year uh three and four and I was despondent. All of these things, we were really, really good to start. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm just questioning myself. So I'm out in California speaking to different alumni groups. And I go by and I've gotten the relationship started with Eddie. So I go by Eddie's office on the Apple campus. And I asked him this simple question. I said, Eddie, okay, you've been there since day one. Everybody in the world, not just this country, wanted to be the number one technology company in the world. How in the heck did Apple do it? 
he chuckled. He said, well, let me tell you this. Ten years before anybody in the world knew we existed, we were having parties celebrating our success because mm. I knew and we knew that we were doing every little thing right. And I stood up with joy because you know what I knew about our football players? We had gotten better every day. And we were doing every little thing right. The very next year, we became bow eligible the first time in 30-whatever mm. years it was. <coughs> uh, beat North Carolina the, for the first time in 19 years on the same night to become bow eligible the next year. But I was partying before we ever got to that <laughs> point after two, three, and nine seasons that my bosses had seen me partying after two and – Three and nine, I might have gotten fired. But ADQ <laughs> inspired me. So that's really the truth of how, how I, I went about getting past that very difficult time. Just know you're getting better, but don't kid yourself. Absolutely, you got a chance to get better every day. Coach mm -hmm. Drew? Well, <laughs> uh, it took us a little longer than you, I think. <laughs> we, uh, 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 you remember year three was the year that we had a half a season and uh, that's when our sanctions finally took, took hold. So um, we're the only school to ever go through um, where a, a season where you only played uh, a conference uh, season and no non-conference. So uh, really it was, it was year four and then five, we went to the NCAA tournament and up to that point, um, I knew we were recruiting well. I knew we were getting better, but we really hadn't had a chance to uh, uh, have the opportunity really to year four and five to, to show anybody uh, any of that. Um, the first year you had half a scholarship team. The second year you didn't have a chance to really recruit much, and then you lost a lot. The third year you had a half a year. Um, and and Coach Cutcliffe, uh, I, I will say this is one thing I did learn on that since we're the only ones to ever practice all the way to January, you know. So we tried every practice drill in the book and everything. But the end of the day, what I didn't realize is, you know, in, in Texas, we go 75. So everyone's going 75 miles an hour down the highway. And you begin conference and you're going 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, trying to catch up. So you're so excited to play thinking you're going to be really good. And then you're so far behind. And then that was even worse. But the good thing is by the end of the year, everyone else is done and they're ready to quit. They're like in the year because it's been a long year and you're still excited. So you're able to win some at the end. But uh, uh, year four and five, we were able to turn the corner. And here's what I'll say. Um, uh, we always tell our recruits this. Uh, you are who you surround yourself with. And coaches, coaching staff, same thing. Uh, we're all going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. And that's why you have to have a staff that gives you energy, gives you life. Iron sharpens iron. Um, and it, it, at the end of the day, we call it doing life with each other. Uh, I'm a better husband, a better father, a better man, better coach because of the people we surround ourselves with. And at the end of the day, uh, we're not taking any of the uh, uh, money records, trophies, any of that with us. We're going to heaven, hopefully, and we want to win the game of life and take as many people with us. So uh, surrounding yourself with the right uh, uh, people that make you better in all facets of life gets you through the valley so that you can get to the mountaintops. So throughout kind of this whole conversation, we've, we've talked a lot about staff. And so let's kind of dive into that a little bit more and talk about hiring staff. And so could you maybe look at, talk about how you've evolved in hiring staff and how you evaluate candidates, you know, from, from the beginnings of being a head coach until now. And, uh, you know, what exactly are you looking for now as compared to the beginning um, in your tenure as a head coach? Coach Drew, you can go first on this. Well, well I, always, I always heard hire uh, uh, slow and fire fast, but it's really hard to fire anybody. So uh, you want to get those hires right. And because usually you're involving families and kids and, um, so, uh, it, the older you get, the longer, uh, um, your list happens to normally be of people that you know you could hire because you have a lot more people that have played for you, coached with you, and then you already know something about them. So I think that helps. Um, early on, what I always tried to do was, uh, instead of hiring the best coach, uh, to me, um, the, the character mattered more, the work ethic mattered more. And I thought, if we have character and work ethic, the coaching that, that, and obviously they're competent, otherwise you're not hiring them. But 
I, we weren't going to err on the side of getting a better basketball mind uh, X and O wise and sacrifice the character and work ethic because it's just like opening a restaurant. When you have so much work to do, you better have high character people and you better have guys uh, and gals that really want to work hard because it's going to take a lot uh, to get it going. Then when it's going now, I think, uh, uh, again, Coach Cletcliffe probably has a lot of guys that have played for him, know what his style's like, know uh, what he wants, probably has a lot of coaches that have coached with him. And, and the great thing is uh, the learning curve and the uh, knowing about them isn't, is obviously as big a gamble because you have that previous track record with each other. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, I love what was just said. Chris, you have everything to do with my philosophy as I went deeper into coaching. I always ask myself after spending the first few hours with a guy, would I want him to coach my son? Mm. If the answer was yes, I didn't need to know anything else about them. I knew they were a candidate. If the answer was no, the interview was over. Mm. And, and, and that's the same basic principle of saying character first, mm. but that, that, that's a good litmus test. Would you mm -hmm. turn your, your, your children over to this person? And I think that's an extremely good way to look at it. And, and then I do, I've done a lot of studying about hiring because we have really big staffs in football. And it only takes one to, to, to ruin it. You know, mm -hmm. if you got a weak link, the chain will break. Alignment is, is everything. And so I think that it, as I've gone further and deeper into study and hiring, a lot of companies have done this. If someone within your organization has a minimum of 50% of what you're looking for, go that route. You know them. You know maybe some of their shortcomings um, but you know them when you go outside and there's a reason at times to go outside. But if you go outside to, to bring something new energy, new ideas, new thoughts, then and I don't have that person in mind, then I'm always going to hire people now at my age. These are people I've been around. I've, they've worked for people I know or with people I know extremely well or that I've worked with before. Um, I agree with what Coach Drew said. You can't make a mistake in, in hiring because it's not their fault. If you've hired them, it's just like recruiting a player is not good enough. It's not that player's fault, you know. And so I really try to avoid that. It's not fun to, to – I don't even like the word fire. It's just not fun to have to let people go. Mm -hmm. um, I, I try to help them see where it doesn't fit. And, and hopefully they, they participate in doing something about it. Uh, I've had to fire a few that wouldn't get the hint, you know, but uh, the less you do that in your career, the happier you're going to be. All right. So kind of along those lines and dad, you can go first on this one, rank these three in importance, experience, character, and intelligence. Well, I mean, coach said it. I mean, if you don't have the character, um, nothing else matters. My, my next one is this. I'm notorious for hiring young coaches with a lot of talent and intelligence. Um, because the guy's been doing it a long time doesn't mean he's good. Um, but I think character and intelligence should go together, uh, particularly if that, what I call EQ, not just IQ, but an awareness of what makes the world go around, awareness of moral values and all the little things along those lines. And so it's definitely character and intelligence for me and experience does not play a big role in what I view in, in hiring someone. Coach Drew, same question. I, I like that answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have always tried to, uh, because when, when I was uh, uh, hired at uh, Baylor, I was, 32, 33. Um, so I, I have always tried to have somebody with more experience, especially at this level, um, because uh, at, at coming from a mid-major program, you just it's your staffs are smaller and it's a different if it's a different uh, job. At a high major level, there's so many more uh, responsibilities and CEO like 
um, characteristics that you have to have. So uh, I've always tried to have somebody that had that experience uh, to at least help us. Um, but as you know, Coach Cutcliffe, the older we get, um, now I'm hiring the other way. Like I've tried to hire <laughs> younger because <laughs> coffee only goes so so far nowadays, right? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so 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 anyway, I, I do think there is perspective to have balance on your staff, but definitely character number one. And then I would do the talent or the work ethic number two, and then I would go experience number three um, with with uh, again if you have a large staff I do like to have a blend in there and that might just be one coach that's had been around um, but never it, it would experience Trump the other ones that's good well let's let's stay on this um, looking at how we attract or how y'all attract quality people to your staffs because you're in top conferences and it's extremely competitive when you do have an opening other than money and the opportunity to win at the highest level, how do you attract quality people to work for you? Coach Drew, let's go with well, you. I think, I, I think we've kind of touched on that, and that is they already have a relationship with us or someone we know that can vouch for us. So uh, at, at the end of the day, um, making more money or having maybe being at maybe a more prestigious school, but not necessarily liking the person you're working for, that doesn't make life very fun and enjoyable. So uh, I, I, I think every head coach wants to have people that uh, want to be there and they enjoy being around. Uh, and obviously the more people, you know, the, the bigger your scope is that, you know, this is a fit, this, this is a fit, or one of your coaches is coached and said, coach, this is someone you should hire because it's a great fit. Um, so that, that kind of answers that question where I know I'm at. And I'm sure Coach Cutcliffe's staff too. Yeah, I, I think the what's kept me at Duke is the atmosphere of excellence at Duke. And what we've done, Doc, is um, I, I, I use this example a lot. Everybody wants to be happy, and you want your home to be a happy place, right? We all pray that our families and and our home is a is a, a holy happy place. It should be. That's when we're all better off. So I tell people this, and I mean this. I park my car right by where our player entrance is to the locker room, to the equipment room, down to the left, the weight room, and then the training room. And the atmosphere, the number one value of our program, we call it climate. Because climate, you can put a cabin where I grew up in Alabama and it isn't going to be much a square foot. It, we may get $20 a square foot. You take the same cabin and you put it on Monterey Beach in California and you'll get a fortune for it per square foot, right? Climate makes a difference. So when I walk in the door, I don't know who I'm going to see first. It could be a player. It could be a, any, any staff member. It could be one of our coaches. But I know, and it should be this way, I know it will be a person I love and a person I trust. And if everybody that walks in our building feels that, that's a great place to be. And when you ask people what do they want to be in life, they're not going to say rich. They're going to say happy first. Mm. And that's, that's, to me, how you attract great people, because great people understand that. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you both do a lot of things to support other programs at your universities. We're very aware of that, respect that about both of you. But if time is so scarce... Why do you say yes to things like that? You know, whether it's supporting bringing in a new women's basketball coach, whether it's showing up at another sports pep rally for them qualifying for the NCAA tournament, whether it's, you know, whatever, you get pulled in a lot of directions. <laughs> Why does that stuff matter when you're looking at your culture and your university's culture? Because we ask our, our players to be great teammates, and I think coaches need to be great teammates too. And our team are our fellow coaches at the universities. And obviously, we don't have time to go to every one of their games, events, matches, meets, whatever. Um, but there's times where we can support one another. And the fact that we do that, it shows that we do care and it shows that we're good teammates. And uh, again, uh, we want people to feel and do the same for our program. So, uh, we definitely want to do that for other programs. It, perfectly said, and it makes me feel guilty a little bit through this pandemic. 
how detached yeah. I've become. That's probably my least favorite thing with it. And one of my favorite words uh, to just think about, uh, occasionally just look it up in the, in the dictionary, even is community. And, you know, community is a great word. When you, when you say you live in a great community or you work in a great community, that is our community. Uh, Duke Athletics, Baylor Athletics. Um, I know Coach Taft felt that way. Coach Taft, I served on the American Football Coaches Association Board of Trustees with Grant Taft was the, um, the executive director. And, oh, my gosh, a love for Baylor just – it, it made you feel warm how much he loved everything Baylor, you know, Waco for that matter. Mm -hmm. So it makes all the difference in the world. And when we get past this, I tell you, they've had us on lockdown at Duke. I've, I've had a swab in my nose every day from July 18th. Uh, we can't do anything. I, I keep freaking, oh, God, I don't have a mask on, you know. Uh -huh. um, it's just, it's been, it's really been hard. And so I'm going to, I'm going to rejuvenate that. I loved coach's answer. I got to remember I'm a teammate. Yeah. Uh, coach K doesn't need me so much. He got a lot of people wanting to be his teammate, right? <laughs> uh, but there's others that might appreciate. Yeah. Coach, Coach Taft's a great man, and he's been such a great uh, role model and inspiration for so many people at Baylor. I've learned so much from him, and uh, I, I do agree with you, Coach. It's been hard to support other sports, too, because of the pandemic, and you look forward to getting back to those opportunities. All right, so we've talked a lot about relationships with staff, with players, um, just relationships within the program. So when players leave or when, when staff leaves, what are some creative things that you've done to help maintain that relationship with, with former players and staff after their time with your program is done? And dad, you can go first on that one. All right. Well, I think the first thing popped in my head is the relationships better be real, um, mm -hmm. lasting. And I think that goes back to while they're there, do you care about them as people? Mm -hmm. So that that's the only way the relationship of all you think they think you're getting out of the wins or how good a player they can be for you. And so it doesn't matter whether it's a Peyton Manning or an Eli Manning or, you know, any, anybody that's ever been there, you, you love to see your players come back. And I, I broke down what coach said uh -huh. and I named it. something. you're talking about bringing players back in the summer and you said, doesn't matter whether it's a non-scholarship player or scholarship player, uh, I think you embrace young people to the point where you know you they're they know they're appreciated of being a great teammate. And I named it, Coach. I'm going to do it this summer uh, because we're finally lifting. We hadn't had anybody come see us since March 6th. Well, I mean, nobody on our campus. We've uh, had no <clears throat> we've had no nothing. Okay, uh -huh. so we couldn't even let our players come back until June 1st. <laughs> but I'm going to call it summer wisdom. Ooh, and I like that. I, I, I think that's going to be a good thing for our program. Yeah. It's going to be even a better thing for me. Yeah. And I get some of that wisdom when I get a text message with a picture of a new baby. Uh, uh, that's, that's absolutely my favorite messages from former players. Um, but again, it goes back to, do you really care? I, when I got, became a head high school coach, Chris, was a guy named Mutt Reynolds that was a retired high school coach, and he knew me from when I was a player. And I didn't know he knew really who I was, but he called me and he said, David, and I'm going to be a, just like Mutt. I'm going to be a little rough on what he did, but he said, "There's congratulations, but I need you to learn two things quickly. And I said, yes, sir. He said, number one, don't take winning personally. And he said, number two, don't there's no bigger fool on earth than one thing, one person that thinks they can fool a young person. Either you really care or you don't. If you don't, get out. He said, I don't know if you're going to be worth a damn, but if you do, those two things, you'll last. And I don't know if I'm worth a darn either, but I have lasted. So I listen to Coach Reynolds. So that's my answer. Coach Drew? Well, I know I know it's a little easier for basketball to keep in touch with people because the numbers are so much smaller. I mean, coach has got 100 people on a team and we, we have 15. So uh, 
it, it's, it's, it's one thing that I love is uh, uh, after a big win, uh, just reaching out and texting them. Uh, uh, this year when we won uh, uh, conference for the first time since 1950, uh, the whole bus ride home, uh, instead of texting recruits or calling and talking to people, I was just texting past players, thanking them for helping us get to this point. Uh, and, and again, it's easier to do that when you have smaller numbers, but uh, we text our guys a lot, call our guys a lot. Uh, one thing that uh, makes it, we have a lot of guys playing overseas, so we'll get a GA to uh, keep track of all their box scores and then send out an email every week so we can text them after a big game or uh, whatnot. And same thing with the, the guys in the NBA, just so we can keep up with them and uh, keep tabs on them. And, uh, and then that always generates conversation too from there. Uh, I, I was uh, Coach Few. One thing he did with Gonzaga in the first time he went to the Final Four, I thought was so cool. He invited uh, uh, past coaches and some of the players back, and they were all part of the Final Four. We couldn't do that because of the pandemic. But one thing we did that I that I really liked, and um, uh, it, it was a great uh, uh, idea brought up, and that was for our parade. We had all the uh, basketball alumni. So it didn't matter what year you played. It could have been 1955. I mean, uh, any basketball alumni could come back and they could walk with their families or grandkids, their, their kids, whatever. And they led the parade since they were the foundation. And then, uh, our coaching staff and then the players rode at the end cause they did all the hard work, but, uh, it was great to involve them and just see them, uh, be excited and, uh, uh see them have a chance to be celebrated and acknowledged for all their contributions. And, uh, I, that, that, that'll be one of my, uh, all time favorite memories, uh, uh, and, and afterwards, we all went to eat together and uh, just hearing some of them say, I haven't seen you in 25 years. And uh, I mean, coaches, I mean, coaching and parenting are the exact same things. And this is so true. I've heard this always. A parent is always is is only as happy as his unhappiest child. And, you know, when, when Christmas time kids are opening presents, they're all happy. Parents can't be any more happy than, than, than when your kids are happy. And the same thing with the team. Uh, you see players happy, um, past players happy. I mean, as a coach, uh, that's why we do what we do. And uh, that's as good a feeling as it gets. So. Final two questions. One question from Coach Drew to Coach Cutcliffe. And one question from Coach Cutcliffe to Coach Drew. Well, I'm going to pull an audible because you can do that at the line of scrimmage, right? So I'm going two <laughs> plays. All right. The first one I have is when you won your first championship in Tennessee, what was the best thing you guys did afterwards as a staff um, preparing for the next year? Yeah, that's a great question because he's facing that right now. Mm -hmm. I, and there's no question that that next year we had a, another really good football team. But the next year, you go with the hardest off-season workout that's fair, but the mm -hmm. hardest one that you can come up with. They pay a price day one. Mm -hmm. And you'll find out pretty quickly who's gotten fat off the championship that's come mm -hmm. back, you know, the ones that have come back, and who's mm -hmm. still hungry. Because mm -hmm. um, when you carry them to the limit, they can't hide it. Mm. And I think from that point, you don't have to say a whole lot. They realize mm. where they are. And, mm. we, you know, I know I can tell by watching your teams mm -hmm. and watching you and listening to you that your team understands that already. You, you just said it. They're player-led, mm -hmm. and they'll be on each other's butt. They'll look around. They'll know who hasn't worked. But, mm -hmm. I mean, day one, you come back and go with everything you've got. I'm going to let them know you came up with that idea. After okay, that's good. <laughs> Blame it on me. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. And then the second question I had for you for the, we, we went with the pass. Now we'll go with the run. What, what about uh, uh, when you were in your, so I turned 51 this year. If you could go back and give yourself advice at that time, what, what's something you've learned that you wish you would have told yourself back then? You know, I've given a lot of talks, uh, that I've titled talking to my younger self. You know? uh, that's great. And uh, I think that those, those things are that make you think because that it will better you, you now. And so as you looked at it yourself, I would say you go back 
15 years. I'm 66. Uh I'll go back 15 to to 51 Uh is to realize what you said. It's okay to have, I, I used to just get really down about bad days or bad practices. Um, it's just a part of what we do. It's not a negative part. How do you know you have a great practice if you haven't had an average one? Hmm. You know, how can you appreciate the championships when you haven't struggled a little bit? I used to mm-hmm. think I was supposed to win everything every day. Every day was going to be great or I, or I failed. And hmm. I think you got to be really careful. And now you've hit the pinnacle. And with hitting the pinnacle, it's really a danger for, for you. And, and I, I remember Coach Wooden, who I've studied. I've read every book that he's mm-hmm. had out there. I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, that he had one year that was a little bit average, not a losing year. And he said a booster came up to him and said, well, maybe next year you'll have a good year. <laughs> and this is after all those championships. Yeah. And his comment was, never forget that every year you coach is a good year. Uh, that's great. And isn't it? Yeah. Every year you coach is a good year and mm-hmm. it's a blessing, you know? Amen. Amen. Great. My turn. Your okay. turn. Okay. Greatest interview I've seen was um, on the today show. I'm watching <laughs> the next morning. I'm watching. Okay. And he gives the greatest answer. I want to know if you prepared that answer because they asked him, what did you say to get that, to get them so fired up and come back out in the second half and dominate? And his answer was, I told him that if we win, we'll be on the Today Show. And I'm thinking, did he come up with that at the spur of the moment? Was that off the cuff? Be honest. 100%. I can tell you why, too, because – that you get back to the hotel and it, it wasn't till four or 5 a.m. because you got to see your family, friends and loved ones and hug them for the first time. The NCAA allowed, allowed them to come down and you had a private meeting room. So you didn't want that night to end. And then you get back to the hotel and then, you know what? You start answering text messages and, you know, you got a thousand of them. So it, it like that bothers me if I go to bed and I haven't answered people. So I'm trying to do them. And then you get to a point where you're really tired and you're like, do I go to bed for 30 minutes? And then you're like, well, wait a minute. I haven't pulled an all-nighter in 30 years, you know, and I might as well go back to college. Let's get this, you know. I mean, you're that close. Let's get it, right? So, so we, and then you might as well have a cup of coffee. And then once you do that, so then 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 you say a prayer before you speak on the day show, hoping that you got some wits to you. And anyway, the good Lord provided that one. And after what? that, <laughs> it was the best interview I've seen a coach do in a long, long time, if not ever. And your comments, I was very appreciative. You know, your comments about the state came across very sincere. It wasn't, you can tell, and I know you weren't born in Texas, but you're a Texan. Mm -hmm. And it was important Mm -hmm. to you guys that that what you accomplished for for the fans, Mm -hmm. but for the people. And, and I, like I told you, one of my favorite words is community. And you sold me on being a community man that morning. And my wife and I, when we get the chance, we'll, and I don't do it very often because I leave here really early and it comes on at seven Eastern, you know? Huh. And so, but I stayed to see, because I stayed up late and watched all yeah. the festivities after the game. And it was a beautiful interview and it's a good show. I watch it too. Uh, I'll never be on it, but I was glad you were. That was good. <laughs> well, well, first of all, you're going to be on it someday. And the second thing is Jared Butler was fabulous in his interview. I don't know. I, he was. Rev- Reverend Butler, he's, he's, he, spiritually, he's a great spiritual leader of the team. And he was, he was outstanding. And uh, uh, anyway, during the pandemic, I got, I got plenty of time to watch the Today Show. So I got, <laughs> I got hooked on that too. <laughs> Well, it was good. It was well done. And um, I've taken a lot of notes tonight. Thank you for all of the wisdom that you did pass along uh, here. I'm, I was really good. I hope I didn't look bored. I wasn't looking down. I was taking notes. I can't type on my phone like young people can without looking at it. So, well, the first the first thing I noticed is the fact that when when because I obviously I, I took notes as well and uh, people that that 
are successful usually never stop learning. And the fact that uh, you would even write anything down um, just just speaks to because you're so successful. Uh, I know. Uh, I hope and pray I never get to a, a stage in life where I, where I think I've arrived. And your humility, um, your compassion, the way you love and care for people, uh, it's inspiring. I've always been a fan of yours. And uh, I know uh, uh, I like how you call him. I just call him Hunter. But uh, I like Doc and I like uh, uh, Dr. Taylor. But uh, he speaks the world of your family. And uh, uh, it, it was an honor and privilege being on with you. And I, I'll tell you this, Chris. Uh, being with your dad, enjoy every moment of it. And 98, that was a great memory for your dad and your family. Um, my brother hit a buzzer beater. We went to the Sweet 16. Uh, we beat Ole Miss. I had to get a plug in there for all the <laughs> <laughs> Ole Miss fans. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, I, I can tell you, working with my dad and brother, there's there very few things are as good as that. And uh, obviously, I can tell you have a great love for your dad, and you're really blessed as I am to have a great father. No question about it. Thank you very much. It's all about family, isn't it, guys? It's all Amen. about family. That's the way the Lord intended it, you know? So that's who we are. Amen. Coaches, thank you all so much for doing this. We really appreciate this a lot. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about the work that we do at Coach and Doc, please visit us online at www.coachanddoc.com.